Welcome to a special off-week edition of the Blocko Show, presented by Mario Tacos. I'm Caleb Spinner. Alongside me, as usual, is Matt Goldman and Tyler Danberg. No Cole Emplett today. He's on his way up from Duke, from Durham, North Carolina, after that Ohio State-Duke game in the basketball Big Ten ACC Challenge. But guys, I thought it was important to hop on this, not only to recap Michigan, but now that Ohio State is out of Big Ten championship contention, potentially out of college football playoff contention, which we'll get to in a minute, it was going to be a long time between the last time fans heard us recap or previewing the Michigan game and then the next time they'd hear us previewing the bowl game or whatever uh, events come to pass. So I wanted to get this out as a little bit of a space, uh, as a little bit of a, a an episode to break up that long time. But also, I, I've been texting you guys, I've been talking with you guys since that game we have a lot of things, or you guys have a lot of things, especially on your chest that that we want to get off here and we want we want to talk about here. We're not going to go ripping into Ohio State any more than than what we're able to to say here, but I, I think a lot of fans and a lot of media have their own takes to give here, and we'll talk about some of those too. But I want to start off first with your general reactions. What did you say, or what did you think right after the final whistle blew? In that game on Saturday, Matt, we'll start with you. Disappointing. Uh, that That's how I felt. I, I was a fan for that game and was able to watch it from where the students were. And it was just, it was hard to watch, especially for me growing up an Ohio State fan all my life. Last time Ohio State was home, I saw the 2018 Michigan win 62-39 in person. It, it was tough to swallow for Buckeye fans, but Michigan played better. I mean, that that's just the way I look at it. They outcoached, they outplayed, they outschemed as well. From the first half, Ohio State's soft play calling was hurting them. They went into halftime down by three. And then Michigan just rolled on them after in the second half, 28-3 outscoring them. It, it was just eye-opening to see that the rivalry is w- where it's at now and the way Jim Harbaugh has gotten this Michigan team back. It, it's, it's shocking to see, but Tyler, I'm just curious, what were your thoughts as well? Well, stun definitely has to be one of those thoughts. That second half really dictated that game because you saw at the end of the first half, Ohio State had that deep touchdown drive going to Marvin Harrison Jr. It looked like after stopping Michigan at midfield to end the half that they were not going to surrender that lead, Ohio State was. They looked like they were going to be in control, but there was some adjustment that Michigan made or maybe there was something that Ohio State did or did not do in that halftime that allowed Michigan to just totally take over the game. I mean, they were completely in control for that second half. The offensive line looked great. They were converting big plays. They were moving the ball down the field, and they were just running it right down Ohio State's throats, especially in the secondary. And Donovan Edwards, guys, what a game he had. In in a game that there was no Blake Corum, where Donovan Edwards was going to need to step up, and let's face it, he wasn't even that healthy because he did not play against Illinois, so he wasn't at 100%. He puts together a game for the ages, and not only is it back-to-back wins for Michigan over Ohio State, it's back-to-back individual rushing performances to remember for a Michigan running back. It was Hassan, Hassan Haskins last year. This year it was Donovan Edwards. Yeah, absolutely. Michigan has certainly gotten the best of Ohio State in these past two years 
on the ground. In case you were living under a rock and weren't one of the 17 million people who tuned into the TV broadcast, the number two Ohio State Buckeyes fell to the number three Michigan Wolverines in Columbus on Saturday, 45-23, to the final score. It's the second loss in a row for Ohio State to the Wolverines, going back to that aforementioned game last year, the first time since 2000 that Michigan beat the Buckeyes two years in a row. And there were several items in my mind. I, I wanted to get your general reactions at the start of this to see kind of where you guys were siding with a little bit of the blame. We haven't asked what was going on with with it, who you held most responsible, but uh, there were several items that contributed to the loss to me. And, and I don't think that one of these stands out as uh, more of a major bit than the other. I think they're all equally contributed, equally responsible to this. But I saw the questionable coaching decisions with Matt you touched on, uh, specifically punting on the fourth and short with around five minutes remaining. I think you got to go for that there. Two interceptions from C.J. Stroud, including that last one, which was a shovel pass right to a defender when he was falling down right into the numbers of a Michigan Wolverine player. And then the blown coverage from Denzel Burke and the secondary against Ronnie Bell and other receivers, particularly in that first big play on Michigan's, what, second drive of the game, I think it was, or something early in the first quarter. But I'll ask you guys here to decide for me, since I hold them all equally responsible, which of these played the largest part in the final outcome or was it something else? Tyler, we'll go to you. I think play calling definitely was one of the items that contributed to this loss. And I'll give you one specific call, one type of play. It's the halfback pitch to Xavier Johnson. There were two instances where it seemed like this type of play cost Ohio State. And it was the pitch to Johnson. It was the toss left side to Chip Trainum. When Ohio State was pinned after a couple of those penalties on unsportsmanlike conducts, they had three of those in the game, Caleb, Matt. They ran it on the pitch on first and 30-plus. Then on third and three in a must-convert situation late in the game, they tossed it around the left side, and they were not able to get it. Now, I don't think that that type of play was going to generate much, when you need to pass the ball, and with your weapons in the passing game, you have to get it down the field as quick as possible. I think another one was that fourth down and short. Inside Michigan territory, C.J. Stroud signaling to the bench. <laughs> so emphatic in that you bump your microphone yes, out of the way. Yes, <laughs> exactly. He's signaling. He's got two arms, and he's pushing towards the Ohio State bench to tell his head coach, Ryan Day, in the offense that we need to stay out there what happens? The punting unit comes out and a touchback is called that Jesse Murko was just one bounce too many as it skipped into the end zone. Yeah, that play stuck with me too. There was clearly a disconnect between Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud. And, and we as members of the media don't know how far that goes. If it was just on that play, if it extended when he went to the sideline, if C.J. told him something or they discussed, hey, why did you, why'd you send on the punting unit? Why did you ignore my call? I thought you trusted me. We don't know how far that went. And maybe it was just that. But I think that's certainly a turning point where you look at, especially hindsight being 2020, and you wonder, should maybe CJ have been responsible for that? Should, should he maybe have trusted CJ to get the job done there? I think there are a lot of things that we could harp on right now. Uh, we talk about the questionable coaching decisions. You, you two just did a great job recapping that I'll, I'll go to a different part. Uh, the blown coverage by the cornerbacks coming to the game, Ohio state's Jim Knowles, Stacked a lot of players in the box, eight in the box, nine in the box at times. 
And that caused for Michigan to take advantage with J.J. McCarthy being as elusive as he was in that game and finding Cornelius Johnson. Cam Brown can't tackle him. And you got Cornelius Johnson going down towards the end zone. I think that was was a 75-yard touchdown by Cornelius Johnson. So you have that moment. You have just the way the cornerbacks played. You talked about Denzel Burke. I thought Denzel Burke has not played the way he was when he was a Big Ten freshman on on an honorable mention last season. He has not played up to par. Then you have Jordan Hancock coming into the game. Hancock not playing well. You have Lathan Ransom, who I thought was the only bright spot of that secondary in that game. Tanner McAllister missing a couple tackles. Cam Brown, as I mentioned, he missed a very big tackle that swayed the, the momentum of the game in favor of Michigan. And then the second thing that stuck out to me was the penalties, the discipline. The lack of discipline for Ohio State was insane. There was false starts, offsides, holding calls, unsportsmanlike conduct on G. Scott that caused an extra 15 yards and automatic first down for Michigan. So it really hurt Ohio State where Michigan didn't have one false start. They didn't have one offensive holding call. So when you look at the discipline from both sides, Ohio State also lost the game because of that. And then we look at that punt that Ohio State was going to get. Mecca Buka caught at the 50-yard line, midfield, perfect field position. And then Ohio State gets multiple penalties in a row. Yeah. To move it back to first and 35. I mean, that is horrible. You cannot get to first and 35 after you're down already to Michigan and you're at midfield. You can't move that far back. So, so many things went wrong. And I think Ohio State just needs to figure it out. The, it was the simple things, really, that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't do well. Penalties were definitely costly, Matt. And you brought up a great point with the secondary, especially attacking the edges. If there's going to be one weakness that Ohio State's had amidst a lot of strengths, it's their quarterback play this year. And granted, Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, although they came in with a lot of expectations, they haven't played to what they were supposed to. And also they've dealt with some injuries, let's face it. But attacking the edges, every team has gone after Ohio State's cornerbacks just because that is that small little sliver of weakness. And it's led to a lot of big plays, especially in that Michigan game. I You can make the argument that Michigan's ability to get big plays was one of the big reasons why their offense succeeded. They scored six touchdowns in that game, guys. Michigan did, while only getting the ball in the red zone once. All game long, and they scored on that possession. But nonetheless, they were a team coming into this game, Michigan was. They did not have a lot of success in the red zone. So how did they adjust? They went for the home run ball, and they got it in the air and on the ground. Because they saw Ohio State's defense stacking so many in the box. And also, Michigan had four sacks in that game. Ohio State had zero. So pressure up front. Yes, J.J. McCarthy is very mobile and elusive in the pocket. But if you can't sack the quarterback and make those different difference maker plays, that's also going to hurt you. Where Michigan was able to do it four times and Ohio State couldn't do it once. I, I want to bring this up before we get too close or too far away from Tyler talking about the big plays. I, I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room knowing you guys personally who's had their radio in their car dialed to talk radio about the specifically Columbus local stations. But I and I'm trying to remember the stat off the top of my head. I'm 98% sure this is accurate here, but somebody can fact check me if they if they feel so inclined. But oh, it was Michigan came into their game against Ohio State not having had a play of over 70 yards. And that's even against the teams like Colorado State, and we've talked about how weak their schedule was going into this. But then they had something like four 
against Ohio State. And that's one of those stats where you look at it and you go, wow, really? Like, it's one of those things you don't believe until you see it or you hear it yourself. And that just, I think, speaks to, yes, Ohio State's defense is so much better than it was last year. Absolutely. Nobody's going to deny that. Jim Knowles coming to Columbus was the right move, and he certainly should be here a long time because he brings a lot of good to that position. However, the same issues are rearing their ugly heads, specifically with the secondary. And before I, I can see you guys are eager to jump on this, before I say that I should have specified, I should have prefaced our last segment about this with, and I'm speaking for myself here, I cannot play football. I was a terrible lineman in high school. Uh, I'm the worst Madden player in here, I guarantee it. So by uh, by me, I'll say, criticizing the, the, the decisions of Stroud, the play calling of Day, the coverage of the, of the defensive backs does not mean that I could have done better. I think it's even more glaring. It's even more uh, indicative of, of how big these mistakes are that even somebody who is not good at football has never coached a day in his life can see these and knows that there's a problem. From letting up big plays, it honestly started since the first game of the season. Lorenzo Styles, the first play for Notre Dame in week one, he, I believe it was over, what, 40 yards on that play? play it was like a 43-yard catch. Right away, Tanner McAllister missed the, cat, the, the tackle, so it's been happening since week one, and when that happened, you two were on the call for that, and Cole and I were off to the side, and I said to Cole, here we go again. This is this is like Purdue a couple of years ago where we lost the game. This is like Iowa. This is just everything all over again. I'm getting flashbacks. So teams knew that they could expose Ohio State. And they did in Penn State, which was the other like top matchup that Ohio State had this year. Penn State was able to expose. And we saw Parker Washington, who had a fantastic day a couple weeks ago in State College, that they were able to do that. So Michigan knew exactly where to target, and they did so. But this Michigan game was probably the first time that Ohio State was not able to adjust or keep up. Because you go back to a game like Penn State, they were still able to just wreak havoc, especially up front. Yeah. JT Tuimolowal game, the Zach Harrison interception, even Notre Dame, Tommy Eckenberg had the breakout. And, and that defense, after that one play down the right sideline for Lorenzo Styles, they buckled down. And that was the difference this year with Ohio State's defense compared to last. There's no doubt about it. This Michigan game was a stain on the season and a stain on the defense and their turnaround. But we, we have to face the music, guys, because Ohio State was in the middle going into that game of a defensive renaissance. Jim Knowles has really brought that defensive silver bullet identity back to Ohio State. You look at... 59th total defense last year for Ohio State in 2021. They went into that Michigan game ranked ninth in the entire country. So, of course, it's going to be doom and gloom after Michigan put up well over 500 total yards. But make no mistake, this Ohio State defense really set the tone for what the next couple years could be under Jim Knowles. With this defense and how they were able to really turn it around. And that Michigan game, though, definitely a stain, like you said before, on this season for the defense and, and how much they have meant to this 2022 team. Yeah, a stain on the season. I think that's the perfect way to describe this and, and the perfect uh, phrase to go with it with this because it's absolutely right, and I think it covers everything there. 
But let's get moving on to this outline. I'm glad we got all this covered off our chest now so we can actually so we can get to some of the other bits that stem off of this that I have for us to talk about here. But let's look at some of the reaction that's happened from Ohio State fans specifically, but also the college football world. I'll say this by I'll say this by starting with an opinion that I have that Ohio State fans are some of the best people you'll ever meet, but some of the worst fans. The second something goes wrong, even in the Penn State game, you saw touches of this, where Ohio State still comes out with four touchdowns in seven minutes to close that game out, and they're still calling for heads to roll. So I think you saw it at an umpteenth degree after Michigan, but let's look at the two targets that they've particularly focused on, starting with head coach Ryan Day. Fans on social media were quick to call for Ryan Day's head following his second loss to Michigan in as many years, but Day is still 45 and 5, 90% is his win percentage over his four years at Ohio State, but he is 1-2 in in the four years he's been here uh, in the game, as it's known. I don't think it has... But I want to hear from you guys. Has Day's time come at Ohio State, or would you give him another chance? Day's not leaving. Day Day will be the coach here. He's still one of the best offensive minds in college football, and I can make that argument any day. He was the offensive coordinator in the 2018 game for when Ohio State whooped Michigan. So, and I mean, you saw on Big Noon Kickoff after the postgame, people were chanting, we want Urban back. That was pretty quick after the loss. So, in and I get it, and I understand, because you, you mentioned Ohio State fans are they're tough to deal with in the college football world. They're not the easiest, and not even just college football, college basketball, every sport. They demand results immediately, and for Ohio State, you, you see these other programs and the environments or how tough they are. In Ohio State, everyone questions the toughness of Ohio State immediately. Oh, do they fire Mick Marotti, their strength coach, because they weren't tough enough? Do they go back to Urban, who was scary to deal with as a coach? No, Urban's time is up as a coach at Ohio State. You got to deal with what you got. Day's only lost twice in the Big Ten ever as a coach, and those are both to Michigan. That's okay. He's made the national championship as a coach. He's made the playoffs before. He's capable of being the head coach of Ohio State. He can recruit really well. We've seen that. He's a quarterback whisperer. C.J. Stroud, he might have had not the greatest game, but C.J. Stroud was one of the top players in America and who won the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. So, I don't think Day's time is up at Ohio State at all. And I, I did get a little chuckle out of that really quick, that the same people who were calling for Urban to return to Ohio State were the same people calling him a terrible human being when he was coaching down in Jacksonville and all that stuff was going on. But I'll, I'll say the same question to you, Tyler, then. Is Ryan Day, is it time to move on from Ryan Day at Ohio State, or does he deserve to stay? No, he absolutely deserves to stay, and, and I think Matt really backed it up well and, and said it best. He's been able to win. Caleb, you talked about his he's won ninety percent of his games as a head coach. Two of them just having to beat him to Michigan. But, you know, there there is that added element that this game means a lot more. And there have been head coaches here at Ohio State. The legendary John Cooper is one. He's a college football hall of famer, but his I people are gonna know him as 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 the head coach who just was only able to beat Michigan, I believe, once. And, and so, you know, this game really means a lot to this Ohio State fan base. But you're right. you, you got to hold on to Ryan Day here. You have to, right? He's a, a proven winner, and he's been to a national championship. Who knows what the next couple weeks have in store? He could find his way leading Ohio State to move and advance into some situations that – they were projected to be in coming into this season. 
and also the social media outrage I get because Ohio State fans, as I said, they want results. And when Michigan was losing for 11 years straight, yeah, they were coming after Harbaugh's job, but they stuck with it. So for Ohio State fans, it's crazy to see how only two years of losing causes all of this hysteria. So for Ohio State, I mean, I understand because when you have Michigan – Winning last year, that that was a little bit of a bloop. Like, all right, they they caught Ohio State off guard, but they also had a way better defense than they had this year. Everyone thought this year, CJ's a lot better. We have Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Abuka, a really good offense and an improved defense. You think this is the year, and a lot of people on campus you talk to say, this is the year to win a national championship if you're an Ohio State fan or student right now. Looks like next year might not be the case because CJ's going to the draft. So when you look at this year, Everyone expects the results to get to the playoff. It's it's not just the game that you got to win. That's the Big Ten East berth to the championship game. And then that's a spot solidified in the college football playoff. So now Ohio State's got to fight for one, possibly. We'll touch on that soon. Yeah, add that to the fact that CJ was the Heisman favorite for a large part of this season. He was not last year having to deal with Bryce Young, who would eventually go on to, to take it. But let's talk about CJ Stroud here because he's the other guy that People were questioning his legacy, and that's, I think, fair to talk about. But I also don't think it, it separates him from being a good or a terrible quarterback. It was another He's another fantastic passer with mobile legs and excellent downfield vision. He fits that Ohio State mold that it seems like the Buckeyes are really good at producing. But he could end his time at Ohio State without playing in the Big Ten Championship college football playoff and without a win against Michigan. Now, the college football playoff, Still to be determined. There are still some scenarios which we'll get into on the other side of our barrio read. And by making the college football playoff, it could be another rematch against Michigan. We'll talk about what that looks like. But, Tyler, I'll start with you here. How will CJ's legacy at Ohio State be remembered? Will he be the guy who couldn't get it done when it mattered? Or will he just be another quarterback who could potentially seed in the NFL and is still, at, le- the, at the very least, is set to succeed at that next level. It's two-sided. One, he was not able to beat that team up north and, and play for a Big Ten championship, as you said, but he's going to go down as a great quarterback. He He's in pretty much every single career and single-season passing record book here at Ohio State. That right there just translates to greatness because when you are up there in the likes uh, of guys spanning from Justin Fields down to JT Barrett, Smith, JT yeah. Barrett um, we I mean we can go way down the list to like a Rex Kern back in in the 60s and 70s there are a lot of great quarterbacks that have played here, and I think C.J. Stroud definitely fits the mold to be one of those guys. C.J. said in his postgame interview that he knows he'll be remembered as the guy who couldn't go to the playoffs, who couldn't beat Michigan. He understands that, but you just you you said exactly what I was thinking. He's second all-time in career passing touchdowns for Ohio State, and he's only played here two years. That's insane. So he's second. He already passed Justin Fields, and he did that, like, I believe that was during— Wisconsin game when he surpassed him so pretty early on the season CJ is a great quarterback he's got one of the best touches for a ball in the nation so I really don't think CJ's legacy yeah it will be a little tarnished because of this game but CJ will still forever be one of the better Ohio State quarterbacks they they've had in the last 50 years I'll use the same word that we talked about earlier I'll say these losses to Michigan are going to be a stain on his legacy but it won't be enough to keep him from being remembered 
as a fantastic Ohio State quarterback. And you realize that, like you guys said, when you open up the stat books and you start reading there. Because he is fantastic, especially with his numbers and where he places amongst some really great Ohio State quarterbacks. We'll talk about what an Ohio State birth to the college football playoff would take. But first, Barrio Tacos is now open right in the heart of Ohio State's campus at 15th Avenue and North High Street. Barrio Tacos is serving tacos and margaritas late night every night and has incredible happy hours with half-off margs and dollar-off tacos every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Don't forget Barrio Tacos also accepts Buck ID and is offering to-go and DoorDash options. You can also get Barrio Tacos in their taco truck Monday through Friday, parked right outside the RPAC. No more Barrio in the stadium, guys, since we won't be back in that building anymore this year. So uh, that, that's a little bit of a heartbreak there, too, for, well... Well, you know what? We could see it actually next year, though, with the college football playoff hosting. We could be talking about this at this point in the season next year, too. Yeah, two years from now, we could have that home field advantage yeah. for the playoff game. That would be pretty cool, guys. It would, it would be interesting there. But let's talk about college football playoffs here, the scenarios that the Buckeyes need to make the college football playoff. The Buckeyes no longer control their own destiny, which is huge. Ohio State, in order to qualify for one of those top four positions, they need number three TCU, number four USC, or both to lose their conference championship games in order to jump back into that playoff spot. Number three, TCU, is against number 10, te- number 10, Kansas State, for the Big 12 title. And number four, USC, hosts number 11, Utah, in the Pac-12 championship. Both games on Saturday are December 3rd. Number three, TCU, kicks off at noon, followed by number four, USC, at 8 p.m. I'll say, because my question to you guys is going to be which upset seems more realistic to you, I'll go ahead and I'll put myself down for TCU, Kansas State, because that almost happened earlier in the year. I like Adrian Martinez quarterbacking the offense for Kansas Kansas State. I like how they match up against TCU, even with the ranking disparity. I think that's the biggest one for me, but we'll start off with what you guys think. First off, Pac-12, Friday night, just want to make sure the listeners know that. But no, yes, my mistake. I believe that even if TCU were to lose, I don't see how they don't make the playoff. The TCU has proven that they're a very good team this year, very well balanced. Max Duggan at the quarterback spot has been one of the best in the country. And TCU currently in the playoffs, in the top four teams, they have the best strength of schedule of any team. So I think even if TCU loses, they're still remaining in the playoff. So at this point, I believe for Ohio State, the only hope that they can have is USC losing. And USC did lose to Utah this year, but Tyler, I just think that how badly does USC need to lose, or is it just they need to lose straight up? Because I think it's just straight up. I agree with you 100%. If they lose, they go to two losses, and although they went to a conference championship game, the two losses compared to one, especially that Ohio State one loss being to the then number three team, now number two team, that definitely makes an impact. You're right, though. TCU, no matter what happens, they should be in. They've played five top 25 teams. I think that alone says enough about TCU's playoff implications. They have a little bit more wiggle room, especially with Kansas State being one of the hottest teams in college football right now and they're ranked 10th in the country, I think that really is enough to justify TCU being in the CFP regardless of a win or a loss. And to the fans that say Ohio State doesn't deserve that spot, well, who else does is the question mark. LSU's gone now. Tennessee's falling down the rankings. If USC has two losses, how could you put a two-loss team over a one-loss team in? Yeah, you, you said, like, the conference championship, that does hurt a little bit, but... I don't think there's any other team out there that deserves the spot. And as much as Ohio State didn't play well against that Michigan game, 
people need to be reminded they lost to a top five team. So it's not like they lost to Michigan, who was not ranked or who was 22 in the nation. They lost to a good team. Right. If this was an upset by one spot, just just to get that out there. You're 100% right. I know we're saying we're 100% a lot, but you're absolutely correct. And if there was going to be a two-loss team that would have gotten in, it would have been LSU if they were able to beat Texas A&M mm-hmm. and if they were going to be able to win the SEC championship because they defeat number one Georgia, they would have beat, they would have lost to a very good Florida State team that has proved a lot of people wrong, and that was in the final minutes, and people can argue that was on a fluke. And then you lose to Tennessee, who at the time was a top three team in the country. But they also took down Bama, too. Exactly. So LSU definitely could have been sitting pretty had they won out the rest of the season. But USC, two losses, and with no conference championship to their name, I think that opens up the door for Ohio State if the Trojans can't get it done. I'll correct my earlier statement here before I bring this up, because I know you guys are going to love this. But I'll correct my earlier mistake. Friday, December 2nd, number 11, Utah at number 4, USC for the Pac-12 championship game. That's uh, at 8 p.m. And then Saturday, December 3rd, number 10, Kansas State at number 3, TCU in the Dr. Pepper Big 12 championship at noon, the kickoff there. But let's look at this hypothetical. Potentially, we get... The game part two, and I had to put on a serious voice for that because that it you know everything that that carries with it. But in one hypothetical, the, the college football playoff could end with a rematch of Ohio State Michigan if number two Michigan defeats. Sorry, I should say this. This is assuming USC falls to Utah and Ohio State then gets in at the four spot. So it's number one. So it's number one Georgia, number two Michigan, number three TCU, number four Ohio State. Number two, Michigan defeats number three, TCU, in this scenario. And number four, Georgia, or Ohio State, somehow upsets Georgia. I don't know how any team is going to upset Georgia in this college football playoff. I think Georgia's a lot for the college football national championship. But I digress here. So this would put number two, Michigan, after beating TCU, and number four, Ohio State, after defeating Georgia, to play each other in the national championship. But is this even good if it happens? Would Ohio State even have enough time to address all the mistakes we talked about and enter the championship against Michigan, new and improved team, or would it just be a repeat of the same thing? Maybe a closer score, but still the same outcome in a Michigan victory. Maybe for health purposes that this can help Ohio State because they will have upwards to 20-plus days to get guys rested, to get guys healthy, and to maybe try and get some of their guys who have been on and off or who have not played much this season to get back out on the field. Because if you're going to be playing for the college football playoff and for the national championship, nobody's going to sit out for draft purposes. It's going to be full go. So these 20 days can allow Ohio State to get guys healthy. This is what makes great TV. This is what allows for guys on Sports Center us to talk about these hypotheticals of everything that happens. Who knows? USC might really beat Utah this time, and Lincoln Riley might might have game-planned a lot better than he did last time when they fell to USC. So for Ohio State, if they were to make it, yes, I think the rematch could happen. I really don't think so if they're going to play Georgia first in the, in the semifinal that most likely will be in Atlanta because uh, the number one seed gets to pick where they play. So it would be cool. I don't know if Ohio State could handle Michigan once again. Tyler talked about the health. That's a really good point that Ohio State would be able to possibly get Trayvon Henderson back. I don't think Jackson Smith and Jake, but even if Ohio State makes the playoff, will be playing ever again for the Scarling Gray. However, 
This makes me think of 2014 all over again. Imagine TCU loses and Ohio State magically jumps them and TCU doesn't get in. College football will have their panic again. And let's remind, let's be a reminder, Ohio State did win the national championship last time they jumped TCU. I don't think that's going to happen again. Just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm glad Tyler touched on the the injuries here because that's what we're going we're, we're gonna to be talking about next. But maybe you look at not having to be in Indianapolis this weekend as a blessing in disguise in that same regard for whatever postseason game you're playing on. We know you're going to get one. It could be the Orange Bowl. It could be the Rose Bowl. It could be a college football playoff. For all we know, which is very little, all we do know is that you are going to be playing here and that your your roster has several notable injuries on it, or at least people who aren't feeling their best. So maybe you look at this week away from the Big Ten Championship as a time to get healthy. But let's talk about the other questions that need answered, which is, in my mind, those injuries. Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson were both notably absent Saturday against Michigan. And I want to say, I'm not saying if they played that the outcome wouldn't be, would have been any different. I think it, it was it's terrible when a player goes out before a big game and then the, the losers of said big game say, oh, well, if only we had fill-in-the-blank. If only fill-in-the-blank played in that game, it would have been a different outcome. One player almost never dictates the outcome of a football game, basketball game, hockey game, cricket game, chess match, whatever it is. Insert your sport there. Maybe chess is a bad out, uh, bad example for this. But either way, these are players, along with Mayan Williams, Tanner McAllister, and others who've been on and off all season long depending on the week. Some coming back for one game, some playing limited reps in that, and then going out. Some sat every other week playing limited snaps in between until they were inevitably taken out of the game. Could Ohio State possibly have been too eager with their stars, trying to get them out on the field before they were necessary with their constant toughness, toughness, toughness mindset to encourage people to maybe play through more pain than they should have and thus leading to a mismanagement of injuries and keeping them sidelined when it mattered? Well, first off, you can make the argument that chess is an ultimate team game because if the bishop falls off That's the chessboard, then you're screwed. But but the reason I say that is it is one play, one person moving the pieces. That I, is a good I, point. I've never seen a doubles match there where it's two people controlling the same pieces, but I'm sure it exists now that I say it. And it's probably on ESPN Ocho. And none the, it, oh, the, absolutely. But, but nonetheless, I, I think that you're right. No one person, no one injury is is going to make up for what that game's going to look like because that's why it's a team game. I I think there's a lot that goes into it with Ohio State, but but I, I don't think that really um, you know has that one lone impact. Maybe they could have been too eager. Maybe you know the inconsistency of guys getting on the field that could have played a factor. But if if they can get a lot of their guys healthy and the mainstays healthy, and if they get the chance to compete in the college football playoff, then maybe this is a blessing in disguise. I think a lot of Ohio State fans like to think that if Travion Henderson played in this Michigan game that it would have been a different outcome. I, I personally don't think, and we saw in that Maryland game a week prior, he just didn't have it in him. He couldn't bounce on the outside. He didn't have that pep in his step, and that's why you saw Dallin Hayden play and get the majority of the snaps and ended up kind of winning Ohio State that football game, in my opinion. It was a little shocking to see Dallin Hayden not get the ball as much as I thought he was going to, just 
based on what he did against Maryland. But I think for this Ohio State team, there was no mismanagement, in my opinion, about the injuries. I think Ohio State did everything they could to try and keep their guys healthy. I think what we saw a lot with Mayan and Travion back-to-back weeks, like one guy was out, one guy played. Mayan didn't travel for Maryland. He was a little hurt, but Mayan could have played, is what I was told by a coach on Ohio State, that he could have played the game if needed be. So I think for Ohio State, it was trying to get their guys playing, but also not have them have long-term injuries. For Travion, it's an ankle. I understand conserving him. You want to, obviously, the player safety is number one, but for Ohio State, it just doesn't feel like that any of their injuries were too sick. Like, they didn't bring anybody back too early, in my opinion. But we've said it all year long. Emeka Ibuka looks great for the wide receivers. Julian Fleming looks great for the wide receivers. Marvin Harrison Jr. came out of nowhere for the wide receivers. Xavier Johnson. We've mentioned all these names of people who we would trust that unit to be put behind for the running backs. Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson goes down. Okay, Mayan Williams can still lead this. Look at his great performance against Rutgers. Five touchdowns. First time since 84 that that happens. Oh, no, both Mayan and Travion are out. What do we do against Maryland? Dallin Hayden. Hi, how are you? Remember me? I can be a leader, too. You can't, in the same breath, say that Ohio State has all these options, regardless of where they are in their depth chart, but then also say that they're a a better team or a so much better team that they could have beat Michigan with Travion Henderson or Jackson Smith and Jigba or whoever it is in here. The same issues that we've talked about are still going to be there, even if you maybe get the score 7, 10 points closer. We talked about that the issues are not all on the field, and that's why I say that this would still be that outcome, albeit maybe a closer score at the end of the day. And even Chip Trainum, he ran for 84 yards against Michigan. So you look at the last two weeks, yeah. Dallin Hayden with a 140-plus yard performance, Chip Trainum with getting over 80 yards on 14 carries and a couple touches in the passing game as well. So you're definitely right. It's not just one injury that dictates the game or, you know, maybe there really isn't much mismanagement, but it, you know, the injuries have definitely taken a toll on Ohio State this year, but they have just been so incredibly deep. So, you know, the, they're a little bit of a factor, but not too much of it. And how I look at Ohio State and how I looked at this game is my attitude was Ohio State is the better athletes on the, on the field. They've proven that through recruiting, through the rankings, through just the way they've played all season. It wasn't that it, they were out-personnelled. They were out-coached and out-schemed. So Ohio State has the athletes. You talked about the next-man-up mentality. Who would have thought that the seven-prior injury was going to haunt Ohio State the way it is this year, having Xavier Johnson take a lot of snaps from in the backfield? So for Ohio State, it's just funny to me how a lot of people question the talent on this team when this is still one of the top teams in America. So many great athletes at every position. Yeah, there could be a couple of players that you could upgrade through the transfer portal, through recruiting. But Ohio State still is one of the best teams in the nation when you look at the athletes alone. Yeah, I tell you, I I think one of those guys who Ohio State, maybe it would behoove them to add through the transfer portal, Daquan Finn. He's going to play power four, power five football somewhere. Maybe it's Columbus. I think he fits this team really well. And, and of course, I'm not. that's not me saying that Ohio State couldn't trust this offense in the hands of Kyle McCord or Devin Brown or even Mason Maggs whatever depth chart you go through here. But I think you put yourself in a pretty good spot if you bring in a quality guy at quarterback to fill in. CJ's gone. I think Ohio State fans have come to terms with that. 
uh, he's going to the NFL. It's basically a lock. Signed, sealed, delivered. He's going to the league. So I, I think the sooner you recognize we're not filling these positions, we're not adding new people to demote anyone, we're not trying to start a, a position competition, or we're not trying to tell anybody, hey, your days playing for us are numbered, uh, we want you out of here, or we want you to enter a transfer portal because we brought in somebody of high quality at your position. I think Ohio State players, by and large, recognize that if somebody new is going to come in and make us a better team, fine. I'm all for it. I think two straight losses to Michigan have put a something-needs-to-give mentality in Ohio State's locker room. So that's the last thing I'll, I'll say to you guys is, is that's the attitude I see around the locker room if Ohio State starts adding big pieces, whether it's now or whether they wait until after the football season is officially over. There never is a lot of margin for error here, but especially going into next year, it's going to be at, a, at an all-time low in rooms for margin for error. But a blessing in disguise could be what happens if Ohio State does not make the college football playoff. If they go to that New Year's Six Bowl right now, it looks like as of the last 24 hours, it could be the Orange Bowl as they have requested to play in the Orange Bowl instead of the Rose Bowl, which would most likely go to Penn State if that is the case. Now, if they don't make the college football playoff, who knows what happens? If C.J. Stroud sits out at quarterback, then we could see Kyle McCord. Well, we would see Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, most likely Kyle McCord, get the chance to start. And that will tell a lot for what the quarterback position could look like next year. This is exactly like what we saw in the Rose Bowl last year, the preview of Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka, especially Abuka's returning abilities we saw in that Rose Bowl game. And we saw also the development of Jackson Smith and Jigba without Alave and Wilson uh, in the wide receiver room. So this is all off-season talk, and this is what makes the sport so amazing that there's always something to talk about. There's always news and gossip. And with the way the transfer portal portals working now excuse me anything could happen could be any position I mean we saw for Ohio State younger guys are starting to beat out the older guys in some positions you saw Bryson Shaw leave at safety from Ohio State now at USC because a younger Lathan Ransom beat him out for the safety spot so there's a lot of that that can happen Columbus you're losing Tommy Eichenberg now to the drafts so there's a lot of question marks to fill. Zach Harrison's going to be gone. Javante Jean-Baptiste is gone. Paris Johnson's gone. A lot of places will be filled for Ohio State, and that will be telling in the next couple weeks when it comes to the end of December. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to leave this year is that, yeah, a lot went wrong against Michigan. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of players that need filled, a lot of positions that need filled with some high-caliber talent if Ohio State wants to start breaking the street to, street to Michigan next year and then potentially go on to win a national championship, which we know they put up teams, even if they don't make it there, who are capable, however likely the chance, of being a national champion. So I think it's good to recognize that, but then also say that this team has a bright future in front of them and that they are very capable of righting the wrongs that led to that outcome on Saturday and caused them to potentially miss out on the CFP, at the very least give up control of their destiny in the college football playoff. But thanks so much for tuning into this off-week off edition of the Blocko Show. For Tyler Danberg, for Matt Goldman, I'm Caleb Spinner. We don't know when we'll see you next, but the best place to follow along to see when we'll be posting a new episode or when we'll be doing something special is SGSR's Twitter account, at SGSR underscore OSU. We will have something we were talking about of doing a quick 
little maybe five to ten minute recap show on Sunday following the college football playoff selection show. We'll know more about Ohio State's destiny then, of course, with Big 12 and Pac-12 having played their championships and TCU or USC either having lost or won those games. So again, follow along with us on Twitter uh, for the latest on when we'll be releasing our Blocko show at the very least. Count for us to have a preview of whichever bowl game Ohio State is playing, and we will see you at the very least then. But again, for our entire SGSR football crew, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. We're out of here.